Welcome to Chrome with Diversity, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity. I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of MyXXY Chrome with Diversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Alfred Jonker, the president of the Dutch Kleinfelter Association and a visionary in his approach to supporting individuals and families with common chromodiversity. Alfred found out he had an extra X as an adult, a discovery that changed his perspective and purpose in life. He went on to pioneer a 100% patient-centric model for interdisciplinary care for himself and for others that combines lived experience with modern scientific understanding and clinical know-how. Together with the Dutch Kleinfelter Association, he has also launched new information tools to support the spouses and families of individuals with chromodiversity. Beyond the Kleinfelter Association, Alfred is involved with an organization called DSD Together Intersex, an informal Dutch federation of almost all existing patient organizations that represents people with chromosomal and other types of differences in sex development and includes doctors, researchers, delegates from the local Human Rights Board, the Human Rights for Intersex Persons Association, NNID, and the Ministry of Education and Health. I'm proud to say he's also a member of the Global Advisory Board of MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation. In this first episode of two, you'll hear the somewhat bizarre story of how Alfred found out about his genetic difference, the biggest challenges he faced growing up, the most effective coping tools he discovered in his teens, and why he believes early detection is the foundation to unlocking better futures. Hello, Alfred. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Elliot. I'm privileged to be a part of your podcast. How old were you when you found out you had a genetic difference, and how did that make you feel? I was uh, 32 years old when I was diagnosed with Kleinefeld syndrome. Back then, I didn't know anything about genetic differences. First, you have to process uh, being diagnosed, and there's uh, the grief that uh, desire for children cannot be fulfilled by you. Then there's the process of coming to terms with what you have and therefore what you don't have. There's also the phase of acceptance or and not forgetting the treatment and investigations. All this also makes you insecure. And you will also have a partner who also needs support in all of this. So, yes, I was diagnosed, but I didn't know it was a part of genetic difference. It was later on I found out what is uh, genetic differences. My wife and I married in 2004. Uh, So we have uh, a big wish of having children of our own. My wife could be pregnant, so we went to a general practitioner for asking for help because I have some pain in my body. Then he said, well, your wife is from South Africa and you're from the Netherlands, so uh, I think you are better to go to some people who can help you to talk about it uh, when you have a psychologist. Then you have to go to there. So we went to them. And he said, well, if you have pain, I can't help you because it's in your body. It's not in your mind. So he sent me back after one month and we came back to the general petition. And he said, well, that's not the protocol I've, uh, for you. Uh, I've sent you to a, a psychologist and 
well, there's no result at this moment. I will say, okay, it's not in my mind, it's in my body. I have pain in my body, not in my mind. So send me to a hospital. And then he said, no, I will send you to another uh, psychologist. And I said, no, you have two choices. One, you'll be still my general practitioner and you send me to a hospital. Or the second choice is I will look for another general practitioner. So the choice is to you. Then he said, okay, when you stand on it, I will send you to hospital. So I came to a urological department and within three months, I was diagnosed with Kleinefeld's. There is a relief because now you know you have a diagnosis, but you still don't know what will kept it in life, what is going on with me. And we are still in a fertility process. So when we came in uh, the hospital, what can we do about it? And he said, well, you are hiring for a fertility process. So these are the options you have. And then we say, well, at this moment, we don't want to have the options of fertility process. We would like what is going on with my body, uh, I having uh, diagnosed with Kleinefeld syndrome. So what you can tell me about this syndrome? Then he said to me, I don't know, know nothing about it. You have to go to an academic hospital, then you can find out. And there's also a um, patient organization in the Netherlands for it. So you have to Google. And uh, after five minutes, we are standing outside of the room of the urological department. So then we went to an academic hospital and then there was more guidance for us. So they helped us with what is the syndrome? There are so many symptoms and what kind of symptoms do you have at this moment? And then they also say, well, there is psychological help. But my wife and uh, me, uh, we determined that talking together would get us further than using a psychologist because of the process before. Uh, I started with the treatment with an endocrinologist at the time and still do, only now with a different one than before. What do you understand today about this genetic difference? My doctor was not telling me you have an extra X. So the name was Kleinefelter syndrome. And you have to figure out what it is in your life, not it is an extra X. So that was the other start of having a diagnosis. So that means also we didn't know about genetic differences. And then you are starting for more information at the Internet. My wife is working at a hospital, so she told me there is a website, PubMed. You can find articles there, you can look for more uh, information about it, and then I realized there is, okay, Kleinefeldrum is also called 47XXI. It's an extra X. There's more information about it, but you have so many information to deal with. And you have also your life, your volunteer work, you're working at the office, you have your family. You got so many information, but it's like it's coming all here in the bowl and then you have to pull it down to your lives. You asked me the question, what do you understand now about this genetic difference? Well, much more than in the year of diagnosis. It's also because I really started to delve into what I have, that I wanted to be open about it and that the world around me really wasn't. And that I started looking not only for the patient organization, but also for validated information, including research from medics and other researchers. And further from my openness, I discovered there were more variations, including, as you mentioned to me, variations in women. 
many people with a genetic variation seem to say they felt different growing up. Did you feel different? And if so, in what way? I uh, definitely felt different from other children. Although I was very social and could both immerse myself in girls and boys' playgrounds as a child, I was not understood at school and scorned. As a result, I was soon bullied at primary school. You look a, a little bit different from other people. You have more sensitivity. I'm dual because my dad is very analytic and my mother is very empathetic. It's different from my brother and my sisters. My brother is more analytics mm. and uh, debating and, and other stuff. And my sisters are more the, uh, empathic uh, persons. But I have the both in my body. I have the both in my mind. So I can understand well and I can debate. I can give arguments. I can uh, be rational. But I also have the empathic uh, forms in my life. Like a, a high sensitive person. I see a lot of detail and can also tell about it. So in childhood, that was the problem because the other children didn't have that. If I would like to play, then I was debating with myself. So do I like that? And what if I do it in this way, what will be the consequence of that? And now the other way, I would also like to be picked out and say, well, we like you, Alfred, because you are Alfred. Yeah. So that, that's dualistic in my life. So I have also a big fantasy world. When you're at school, you are talking about your fantasy worlds, and that was not the fantasy world of other kids. Did that make you feel lonely? Yes. As a child, I enjoyed reading the most, both boys' books and newspapers also, because if you wanted to discuss topics at home, you had to read first, my parents told me. And then I started to collect stamps, all the new coins. That's more isolating yourself because it's your own world where you are in, play with Lego and uh, cars and Playmobil and gathering uh, stuff and also read and the, most of the kids don't read though they play on the with sand and, uh, and other things like that. I have also to tell you there's other, another one because my mother has saint fear. She didn't allow me to go outside and play with other boys and girls in, a, in the sand with dirt or whatever so Yes, I have also attained fear for that in my childhood. Do, do you feel that the differences that you felt as a child might be due to the extra X? I think so, yes. Afterwards, if you're uh, looking back uh, into your life, I think that, that it's right, yes. What did you enjoy most as a child? My parents were born before they had a bad childhood. So they will give us a good childhood. Every holiday, my parents go to another country with us in Europe. And then we have to learn about it, what happened there. 
So we went to Normandy in France and go to Utah Beat and see all the stuff of World War II. Also, we went to other places. So my parents took us to churches, to museums, learning about all the things. It was not a vacation to rest or to be at a beach. Maybe once we get, go to a beach, but the most of the time we have to learn about history of that country, of that province or whatever. That was the most exciting part of us. Every year we went to another country. And also I'm born in July. All my birthdays were in holiday time. So my parents choose the week where I was having my birthday, then we have to be abroad. And I can choose then, uh, have seen a lot, and my parents uh, give it to us. I'm very thankful for that. One of the strengths that seem to be identified as greater than average compared to siblings without an extra chromosome is love of learning. I have so many interests in life. Like uh, Stephen uh, Malherb has already said in his podcast, he would like to be a doctor so he can learn more about it from the medical side. It's also what I prefer to uh, understand it from medical side. I'm investigating for myself, but also for other people who I can help with it. What did you struggle most with as a child? I struggled with learning at school. I had so many problems with that. Isn't that a paradox that there seems to often be this love of learning and at the same time struggles with learning? Would you say the struggles with yes. learning are more due to the way it's taught at school and perhaps you learn in different ways? Or there were specific things that you found really challenging? Well, I struggled to pass school, but kept going until I got my diploma. Uh, it took me longer than anyone else. But hey, I got my paper and did it on my own way, in my own tempo. So that means also the school has a program and you have to fit in that program within nine months or within 12 months. So that doesn't fit us. It would be easier when you have your own program. It doesn't matter how many uh, months it will take. That is also what we need. More individual programs in schools. How did your parents support you in your struggles and your strengths? Because my parents are both highly educated and my brother and two sisters were quite good at studying and I was not, and I was quite bullied at school. My parents gave me the opportunity to take a certificate training. I was about 14 or 15 years old at the time. There I learned to work on my self-confidence, self-acceptance, and I learned a method of mind mapping. I still use this method of mind mapping in everyday life. This method is called memory palace. Would you say that you're a visual thinker? I'm a visual thinker, that's right. Uh, when you are talking about something, I will picture it in my head. Also, where people have some story, then I hope to, to make it one picture from it. I started with mind mapping of the method of mind mapping, memory palace. It's called that way because when you are in some situation or you're working for an organization, then you have many people to work with. How can you recognize the, the faces? How can you recognize the names? So when you put it in a room in your house, then you can say, okay, at the kitchen, I will find all the members of my board of the Kleinefeld Association. And in sleeping room one, you can find all the doctors of the advisory board of the Dutch Kleinefeld Association. So some years ago, I worked with projects for 14 
organizations. And all the Fortran organizations have many people to work with. That helps that uh, I can put all the organizations in a room in my house so I can separate from it and step out and then go into another room, then have another organization and other names and all the issues what's, uh, what's going on. And also I can do, do the memory palace uh, method of mind mapping to regular my emotions. Why did the assertiveness course that you did help you so much? Because I was bullied, so I didn't have self-confidence and self-acceptance. It was far away from me. To get myself there, it was necessary to go to this course, to be on my own roots. And then when I have self-acceptance and self-confidence, I learned also to step in the big world. All the people who have bullied me, I can face them and say, okay, what you have done, it was terrible in my life. But hey, what? I'm still here. And whatever you would like to do or to say to me, I will throw it over my shoulders. It doesn't hurt me anymore. In the time of being bullied, uh, I have some other issues with suicide problems. Sometimes I stand on a building to jump down. But I didn't because I couldn't. And then I got with my bike into the water. I was wet, but I didn't sink. And so I'm still alive. I, I'm thankful I'm alive because I can help other people now. From what age did you start to have suicidal ideation? From 12 years until I was 16. When I started with this assertiveness course, I still have some attempts of suicide, yes. Would you say the assertiveness course helped you stand up for yourself, not only to other people, but towards yourself to make you stronger? It, it makes you stronger and also to tell yourself, you can be here. What can people do to you? Yes, uh, life sucks, but other people's lives also suck. So what's the difference between them and me? So that makes me stronger and to get my life back again and not longer uh, thinking about suicide. Taking yourself out of a position, perhaps, of victim into a position of control, mastery. Yes, that's right. So if I can help myself and I'm able to do that, other people can do that also. So I can also help other people. That's what, that was my drive at that moment. And I still have that drive to help other people. Yes, with information, not only with information to help other people with information, but also to help them uh, to be in their life. What, what the struggle they have in their lives, I can help them with that because I did a lot of, I did have a lot of uh, struggle in my life. So I can help people now better because I understand what they are going through. If you could go back in time to the moment of your birth and if a genetic test had existed at that time, would you have wanted mm -hmm. to be diagnosed? Mm. The need at birth for a genetic test back then was not there. Uh, and so you can ask yourself whether you should delve into that or look ahead to the future and help others who might be struggling with their identity self-confidence and self-assurance because that's what I want to help others 
and provide them with validated information obtained through research and not only based on the medical facts alone, but also on practical stories. So storytelling by experienced experts. I'm now 50 years old, delving in my past. It helps not me and not other people, but we are living now. What is the priority for other people now at this moment? People from now who are living now and who are growing up now needs more that you are aware of uh, the genetic differences. What we can do here now with medical also, but also with the information we have and we can uh, provide you and to have who, how earlier you know the better it will be and will uh, have a base in your life. It's a fundament, you see. I, you will see a fundament. We will lay the fundament. Other people have to build their home or their house on the, the, on the fundament. Early diagnosis, that's the fundament of your life. And then you will have to build your own building, your own house. And uh, for some people, it will be one floor and others have maybe 20 floors, but that's your life that is your role of significance in this world. So is it one floor you will build on or is it 20 floors you will build on? Thank you for listening to the first part of this podcast with Alfred Jonker, a pioneer in helping to change lives of people and families with common chromosomal variations and differences in sex development, also called DSD. As you heard, while he faced significant challenges growing up with chromodiversity, such as bullying and suicidal impulses, he also discovered powerful coping tools during his teen years, such as assertiveness training and mind mapping. Since his unexpected diagnosis with an extra X at the age of 31, he has become a leading advocate for early detection, intervention, and information, and pioneered a 100% patient and family-centric interdisciplinary care approach that combines lived experience with scientific understanding. This matters not only because of the positive difference he and the organizations he is involved with are making in the Netherlands, but also because his work provides a potential roadmap for more efficient, equitable, scalable platforms in other parts of the world at a time of exploding diagnosis. Don't miss the second part of this podcast with Alfred, packed with urgent takeaways for individuals, parents, experts, and policymakers, as well as a few surprising answers to a fun quiz at the end of the podcast. I hope you liked this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Please show your support by donating to our podcast today. With your help, we will ensure an easy listening experience so you can access engaging and authoritative information on common genetic diversity in children and adults, notified to you weekly in your inbox. Stay tuned for next week's episode and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.